You don't really need to know, or probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. On today's episode, we're looking at the power of music, bringing back dodos and opening our ears to the mysterious sounds of the Arctic and Antarctic. But first, it was on this day in 1809 that a little boy called Charles Darwin was born, whose book on the origin of species and theory of evolution changed science and angered churches forever. When you think of fungi, perhaps the friendly mushroom comes to mind, a slow-growing, innocuous organism. However, if you've been watching HBO's latest hit series, The Last of Us, you might have a very different opinion. Fungus. Fungi seem harmless enough. Many species know otherwise, because there are some fungi who seek not to kill but to control. The hugely popular show is a video game turned TV drama where a fungal pathogen turns people into terrifying zombies and is rooted in actual science. In the dystopian drama, the mysterious fungus is called a cordyceps, which is based on a real-life fungus that infiltrates the bodies and minds of ants and other insects. Like something out of science fiction, the fruiting body of the cordyceps erupts from the ant's head. It can take three weeks to grow, and when finished, the deadly spores will burst from its tip. Then, any ant in the vicinity will be in serious risk of death. While cordyceps are not currently a threat to us, some fungi can kill us. And if you think of a fungal-based hallucinogenics like magic mushrooms, they can already mess with our head. Right, now the good news is our high internal body temperature can ward off most threats to our health. But because of climate change, that might not always be the case. They cause disease in trees, they cause disease in insects. This is Arturo Casadevall, a professor of microbiology and immunology. They don't cause disease in hospitals over the temperature, but now if they have that capacity, they could become major problems in the future. A new lab-based study suggests that cranking up the temperatures sped up fungal mutations, which might mimic the impact of climate change in the real world. What's also concerning is that fungal infections are notorious to treat. Unlike viruses and bacteria, fungi have a similar cellular composition to animals, plants and us. It's a balancing act of finding a drug that kills the fungus, but doesn't kill the patient. Dr. Andreas Beck, a professor of infectious diseases, warns that the few drugs that do work might not work forever. There are plenty of species that are resistant to all antifungals that we have. Inside labs around the world, researchers are already on the way to developing new treatments, trying to prevent a worst-case scenario. But if fungal pathogens evolve and spread faster than scientists can keep up, reality could start to look like science fiction. Music is a powerful tool. It can calm the soul, soothe the mind, and now it's been used to help treat Alzheimer's, dementia, and other neurological conditions. Music intervention is when we use music for patients to treat their symptoms. If it's used by a certified, board-certified music therapist, we call it music therapy. If we use it in a, in a setting of a research and in collaboration with music therapists or music practitioners, we usually call it music intervention. This is Professor of Neurology, Dr. Borna Bernaktapur. In individuals with neurologic uh, disease, we've seen that if, if, if they have a problem in some area of the brain, uh, in many of them, the areas that are uh, dedicated for music processing are undamaged. So we can use those unharmed areas of the brain 
that are uh, related to music to help them recover some of the abilities they've lost. For example, if it's speech or is it, if it's movement in individuals with dementia, surprisingly areas that are related to long-term music memories are intact until very advanced stages of the disease. So the person may not be communicate verbally, but if you play music for them or ask them to sing, they will um, wake up and then start participating in musical activities. And then we've shown that that can actually help with their mood, with their psychiatric manifestations, and it can calm them down, decrease their agitation, which really affect their quality of life. Research shows listening to music activates the regions of the brain used for social engagement. It also reduces anxiety, pain and feelings of loneliness and elevates mood and energy levels. Pairing words with music can help stroke patients with speech. For Parkinson's patients, music can help with walking and balance. It's also been shown to help reduce headaches and increase the threshold for seizures and it decreases agitation in dementia patients. In individuals with dementia and in many neurologic diseases, if, if people... Uh, have, for example, agitation or have symptoms that need to be treated with medications. We try not to use medications in the beginning because some of these medications have side effects. And so we try to avoid those and use non-pharmacological interventions like art therapy, like music therapy. And if we can help them with their irritability, with their you know, you know, aggressive behavior, violent behavior, or agitation, then we can save them those medications that can have side effects on heart, on other organs, and you know, really reduces their life expectancy. In the 2020 Northwestern University study that Bonak Darpour led, they looked at 20 individuals with dementia who received music intervention and 10 who didn't, and the results were astounding. What we showed was after three months of intervention, individuals who did receive the music intervention, they um, improved in terms of their uh, neuropsychiatric symptoms like irritability, agitation, hallucination, depression, uh, violent behavior. And then the people who did not receive the music intervention, they got worse over time. Their symptoms got worse. That's what happens, unfortunately, with dementias. We didn't really expect to rehabilitate their language or their ability to talk. But we definitely showed that there was uh, an effect on nonverbal communication. And it really is life-changing for the family members. What makes music special? Because there are so many different interventions. You know, you can use art therapy, you can, you know, read poetry. But what is really specific for music that makes it specific, specifically helpful? That's not what, what we really need to know better. Um, you know, the, the, the pathway from you know, when we hear sound to the brainstem to the brain, um, if we can tap into those pathways and see what really happens that uh, affects the brain, affects people's mood, that would be very interesting. And this is an area that really is open to uh, investigation. Still to come on the Sunday 7, a new way of capturing carbon and bringing dodos back from the dead. Two companies are working together to remove CO2 from the air and put it into concrete as part of an innovative way of battling the climate crisis. First, California-based startup Heirloom Carbon Technology uses limestone to capture CO2 from the atmosphere. CO2 is a key ingredient in limestone, so Heirloom removes it by heating the limestone into a powder. Then the remaining powder is thirsty for more CO2, so it spreads out on huge trays to absorb it, almost like a huge sponge. Limestone can soak up to almost half its weight in CO2 
and a process which normally takes years is reduced to just three days. This is Heirloom CEO Shashank Samala explaining some more of the process. Limestone has this natural ability to pull carbon out of the atmosphere. Uh, the problem is it's just slow. So what we do here is just give it more superpowers to make it pull carbon much, much, much faster than it otherwise would. We are taking limestone and spreading them out on trays and vertically stacking those trays and exposing it to the air. As the CO2 is brought in by the air, this limestone pulls up that carbon and sequesters it in the mineral. After this stage, Canada-based company Carbon Cured takes that limestone and mixes it with concrete ingredients. The CO2 strengthens the mixture, making cement no longer necessary. According to a 2018 study, cement production is responsible for approximately 8% of CO2 emissions worldwide. Here's Rob Niven, CEO of Carbon Cure. So we're turning CO2, this greenhouse gas, into a solid, a mineral format that can never be released again for thousands and thousands of years. But what's really key here is that also provides a performance benefit for that concrete. Concrete is an amazing way to source CO2 because it mineralizes the CO2. It turns CO2 into a carbonate, into rock. So it's durably there for thousands of years, even if the buildings are demolished. This collaboration marks the first time carbon has been used in this way. Whilst it's been applauded as a breakthrough, the immediate task for researchers is to make the process cheaper and more efficient. Like many other folks, I want to wake up in the morning and know that we, are, we have an exciting future to look forward to, that my kids and grandkids and, and the future of humanity uh, can look forward to. And, uh, you know, some years ago I realized that climate change is the biggest existential threat to humanity. Um, and we need to find every which way to, to play our parts in, in, in reducing emissions and, and getting uh, the entire planet down to the 1.5 degree warming target. company is trying to bring the dodo and other extinct animals back to life. But is that a good idea? You'll have heard of Colossal Biosciences after it made headlines back in 2021 for announcing it was trying to bring back the woolly mammoth and then later on a sweet tiger dog hybrid looking thing called a thylacine. But why the dodo? Why now? Aren't they famously known for being dumb? The dodo is obviously the symbol of man-made extinction. It was a combination of human hunting as well as the introduction of invasive species to the islands of Mauritius that actually eradicated the dodo from existence. That's Ben Lam, CEO of Colossal Biosciences, speaking to Now This. Essentially, what Ben is saying here is that Colossal will be rewilding extinct animals, letting nature do its thing with a human helping hand. This looks like a good move for the environment and ultimately for climate change. For example, Ben says that bringing back the woolly mammoth would... Hopefully restore the mammoth steppe ecosystem in the Arctic grassland, which is way more efficient at carbon sequestration than what is currently there. And for the thylacine, a.k.a. the Tasmanian tiger... The reintroduction of the, the thylacine, you get these tropic downgrading effects when you remove a key species, specifically a predator from an environment. Food chains in the wild are really important. For example, how wolves keep deer populations in check, which in turn keeps disease-carrying fleas, ticks and other parasite populations under control. Colossal biosciences hope to achieve all this by using advanced gene editing techniques that allow scientists to create the dodo's genome and then by using a living relative such as a pigeon, bring the ancient bird back to life. Does no one remember how Jurassic Park ended? Well, this type of science is expensive. Since launching in September 2021, Colossal has raised $225 million 
million in funding. And if you're thinking this money could have been better spent helping animals that are already alive, this is what Ben has to say. We're not taking money away from those channels. We're actually bringing new technologies, investments from new categories into it. Colossal believes its tech could be used to save current living species from extinction, including us, which actually does sound like money well spent. Still to come on the Sunday 7, strange noises from the Arctic and the reason you can't resist puppy dog eyes. Right after this. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or maybe try our UK edition. It's all in the usual places. What do you hear when you think of the Arctic and Antarctic? You're probably hearing something you've never heard before. That's a Ross seal recorded in the Antarctic. This is part of a project which introduces the public to 50 rarely heard sounds recorded underwater in the polar regions. This high-pitched singing sound isn't an animal call, it's actually the sound of ice contracting and moving. Scientists recorded underwater polar sounds for two years, capturing rarely heard sounds like this crab-eater seal. And this groovy minky whale. This project aims to highlight the impact of climate change. And they pick up noise from human activity too, such as seismic blasting used in oil and gas exploration. But some sounds are a mystery even to the scientists. What do you think this is? Many of us don't feel ready to take on the day unless we've had our caffeine fix and it turns out your daily cup of joe could do more than give you an energy boost. A new study found adding milk to your coffee could help fight inflammation. To investigate the anti-inflammatory effect of combining coffee polyphenols and the proteins found in milk, the researchers applied artificial inflammation to immune cells. Some of the cells received various doses of polyphenols that had reacted with an amino acid, while others only received polyphenols in the same doses. The control group received nothing. The researchers observed that immune cells treated with a combination of polyphenols and amino acids were twice as effective at fighting inflammation as the cells to which only polyphenols were added. The promising study from the University of Copenhagen showed impressive anti-inflammatory properties in immune cells and the researchers hope to be able to study the same health effects on humans too. If you have a dog in your life, you've probably found it nearly impossible to stay annoyed about a chewed of shoe once they give you those irresistible puppy eyes. As it turns out, their ability to tug at our heartstrings is no coincidence. It's actually a trait we selected during domestication. They descended from a grey wolf-like ancestor, and they are one of the first animals, if not the first animal, to have been domesticated. Dr. Sarah Elizabeth Biosier is a dog cognition researcher speaking with Wired. This movement that you see in your dog's eyes when they look at you, when 
when they gaze up staring at you lovingly wanting snacks, we call it puppy dog eyes. But in fact, this is the eye musculature that we see more defined in the dogs we have in our homes. And particularly, we see this through the levator muscles that they have located just around their eyes. This little muscle gives them more control over how they move their eyes, sort of like how we use our eyebrows. These muscles that are more present in our dogs that we have at home, it allows them to kind of wiggle those little spotty, dotty, hairy bits that they have right above their eyebrows, potentially making them more expressly communicative or potentially just making them a little bit more manipulative to get more snacks. In a 2022 study, researchers found that whilst dogs and wolves do share similar facial muscles, wolves have more slow twitch fibers which are needed for sustained behaviors like howling. Dogs, on the other hand, have three times as many fast twitch fibers which allow for more rapid facial movements like barking. Plus, these fibers are responsible for many of their characteristic facial expressions, from animating their expressive eyebrows to breaking out into what looks to us like a full-on grin. So it looks like we break cute puppy dog eyes into modern canines. As humans, our attention is drawn towards the eyes and so we like dogs that have large eyes. Over many years, we gravitated towards dogs with facial expressions that are more like our own and drove the evolution of the puppy eyes we cherish so dearly. And now we can not only interpret and react to the facial cues of our dog, but they also do the same for ours, forever strengthening the bond between us and our furry besties. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with a regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.